grow your business. From News Talk with Gavin McLaughlin. Thanks to Euronext Dublin, the new home of the Irish Stock Exchange, supporting business for over 200 years. Hello and welcome to the Grow Your Business podcast. I'm Gavin McLaughlin and I'm here to help your business make money. A very important topic today, it's all about raising cash. We're looking at raising debt and we're looking at selling equity in your business to private investors. I'm joined in studio by Paul Corrigan, who is head of corporate finance at Mainstream Renewable Power, vastly experienced in doing debt deals and equity deals. And also here is Mark Flood, director of Renata's Capital Partners, which is one of Ireland's top private equity firms. Mark, private equity has really taken off here over the last few years. Is that fair to say? Definitely, Gavin. Yeah, there's. Um, it, it, it's been... Years and years ago, there was there was always the ICCs, the Fitzwiltons, and, and then the next generation was the um, you know the Ion Equities and um, Mr McFadden and FL and all the guys were always there was there was lots of kind of different iterations. But in, in this most recent version, there's just a number of funded funds with different specialisms and different angles. Um, so there's probably never been as many uh, brass plates around Dublin with pools of private equity to deploy into businesses. Yeah, and obviously that's good news if you're a company who's looking to raise equity, you've got lots of different options uh, to go to. Yeah, I think it's great news for, for, for lots of things. It's great news for, for growth. It's great news also for people who might be stuck in a business and they can monetize some of their success and and cash in some chips and still go on a journey. So it just gives them lots of options uh, that they may not have had um, before. You guys in Renatus, what are the criteria you look for when you're investing in a business? People is the main one. Good people who will be great partners with us. So we've we've generally four criteria. Um, great people who to partner as executives of the company or non-executives um, and both. And businesses making over a million profit with prospects to double over 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 a period and just a sensible deal for everybody involved. Uh, and then in terms of, you know, the other firms out there, how how different does it make you uh, compared to them? I think everybody, it's, uh, everybody has has different angles and different specialisms and chemistry is a big part as well. So some, um, some pre- even independent of chemistry may want minority stakes. They may have a minimum investment of 10 million and they'll only do certain types of businesses. Others might want majority and uh, equity is a marriage between, you know, the the equity and the management and other owners of the business. So I, I think the, the chemistry is important and the value add. And I think anyone anyone looking for equity should, should treat it like a tender and not all marks should be for price and they should be for relationship and, and value add and what, what value add you can your partners can bring along with the money. It can be a little bit more uncomfortable for people though because it is, it's a different process and I suppose people tend to be a bit more comfortable with debt. You know what you have to do, you know what you have to pay back whereas with equity you're selling a stake in your business, you're probably bringing people onto the board is there still a sort of a resistance uh, to equity out there? You know, kind of the, the Bull McCabe attitude of it's it's my business and I'm not selling it to anyone? Very, very good analogy, the Bull McCabe. There is. Um, that'll always that'll always be there 
to a certain extent and um but i think the people are seeing you know there's years ago there's books like barbarians at the gate and it was like equity the, here's the the evil people coming but i think the case studies that are out there across the board is full of success stories and you know wherever you've seen equity deployed it's it's generally been happy stories you know what i mean where the where the 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 equity allowed allowed the entrepreneurs monetize some of their success allowed them go on a journey and allowed them make even more money so like that that is absolutely should be part of any capital stack but a certain amount of it because um, Buffett famously said debt is like the dagger at the steering wheel it keeps you honest while you're driving but if you hit a bump in the road it can kill you so if you take on too much debt and don't give yourself enough headroom um, it, it can it can stymie the business because all that person who's given you the debt or that institution will want to know in the case that you've missed your numbers and you're in default is when are they getting their money back? They're not that necessarily interested in the ambition and going further and further and doubling their bets up. But equity is more aligned to that bigger prize of like sometimes say if a recession hits or if something happens, equity could say right we'll put in more and we'll buy some competitor. You know, so it's yeah. debt would never that that debt isn't. A, as, um, you know, you should always kind of take a certain amount of debt, but enough that you know you're re- repaying, not dissimilar to anybody taking out a mortgage on their home, you know, it's, yeah. it's affordability. Yeah, and uh, to introduce yet another analogy, I suppose it, the, the way to look at it maybe is you may end up owning a smaller piece of the pie, but having taken on the equity on board, you grow the pie so much uh, that you're better off at the end of the day. Yeah, and not, not just the value add that equity can bring, the actual risk profile. When you have, when somebody has 100%, largely independent of maybe a property, but when they have a hundred percent of their portfolio in the company, they can't take every what you call ballsy decision has risk. So, you know, it's it's easier to take risk if you've kind of turned your 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 portfolio into such a case where even maybe fifty percent of your net worth is in your business as opposed to ninety percent to a hundred percent of your net worth. And that's that that risk profile can you've seen it time and time again here. You've seen Lily O'Brien do it, you've seen David Walsh in Netwatch, you've seen um many, many people and many success stories where, where they've done that. And, Paul, let's talk a bit about debt. Tell me a bit first about some of the different transactions you guys have done uh, in mainstream over the last few years. Sure. So, um, so mainstream is a, a developer of wind and solar projects, obviously based here in Ireland, but all of our activities are around the world. Um, so the types of deals we'll do will very much depend on what the purpose of the capital is. It's going to be, you know, we've done smaller loan note type transactions raising money here in Ireland um, and we've done just last month we did a, a 580 million dollar 20 year loan uh, for a portfolio projects down in Chile so uh, funnily enough a lot of the same principles they'll all apply you know what are you using the money for what's the risk profile uh, what's the structure the flexibility that you want um, and ultimately the other word that uh, Mark used in terms of capital stack is is the, um, it's about kind of the, the overall picture and, and how much uh, debt you can get in is very often the the, the, the starting point uh, at what price and what terms. So um, we're in an infrastructure business. So with that, it means that your investment goes in up front and you get a return over 20, 30 years. So co- cost of capital is probably a bigger cost than any, you know, many of your other um, I suppose inputs, whether it's cost of turbines, whether it's cost of operations or cost of fuel and renewables is free fuel. 
But if you can borrow money or if you can get investment at, at a lower cost, then it makes you competitive. So in a typical wind or solar farm, you're going to borrow the money about 70% of that up front. And the payback period for that is sort of generally eight to 10 years um, with a life of about 30 years. So um, the the types of loans we will get will be for generally as long as possible for, for that portion of, um, of the investment. And that's at a project level, at a parent company level then running the business here in, in Ireland or our offices in Chile and, and South Africa. Um, you know, when you can bring debt in, it's generally when the projects have been sort of de-risked, meaning, you know, you've got them to a point that you're about to start construction. But the stages before that are often the riskier stages. So and so the bank is probably going to say, look, when, we, when we're dealing with you at this stage, we want to have a contingency plan in place. Say, for example, if you don't get planning permission, we want you to pay us back a certain amount of money or, what, or whatever it might be. Correct, or, or probably they just won't lend to you in the first instance. So right, that's probably, right, yeah. That's, it, it, that it, solves the problem. It solves the problem you. ahead of it getting, getting to that stage. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you're going into a bank, just in very basic terms, what do you need to show them? How do you convince them it is worth lending money to us? Sure. I, I think, I mean, uh, it all comes back to the prep- the planning and preparation. And, and that would apply whether you're going into a bank or whether we would be, you know, pitching to the likes of Mark here who've got bags of cash sitting there ready to invest. Have um, you got one uh, there, Mark, uh, uh, right now? <laughs> um, uh, so the, the planning preparation is is just about identifying what you need, when you can re- repay it, and, and measuring it all through a, a plain risk-reward sort of lens, right? So what's the risk that I'm asking this lender, with a bank or an investor, to take? What's the reward that I'm willing to offer them? Um, and But in doing that, you you, you know, there's a lot of trips into banks that might be unnecessary if a bank is never going to do it. Or there's a lot of trips to certain types of banks that are specialists in one things and, and, and not in others. So in a global context, um, we know, you know pretty quickly as to what banks will do, what types of loans. And um, uh, the other aspect of it then is, is, is competition and just you know, drumming up a little bit of interest, uh, having your marketing, a teaser document, something prepared. Uh, I'd never underestimate, you know, the, the 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 snapshot decisions that people can make. They actually have a relatively short period of time, especially if something is complex and not off the shelf. You know, people talk a lot about your pitch or your elevator pitch in terms of a sales uh, a sales document. It applies to a bank just as much as it applies to an equity investor or a Dragon's Den type investor. And it's not about hands, having like great jargon or a wonderful analogy. I think it's just about an organized series of thoughts, right? So how can you explain what you're doing so that someone can understand it? And, and does this apply, say, for, you know, it could be a small business going into AIB or Bank of Ireland. It could be, could be somebody like you guys going into Morgan Stanley and uh, Bank of America. Absolutely. And and the same same criteria. And it doesn't matter whether you might think the scale, or, you know, the, of the, the, the loan and the setting is a bit fancier or higher in a, in a Morgan Stanley type billion dollar investment or in a, in a much smaller local bank manager. But people's ability to understand, it doesn't matter what side of the desk they're on. It's, you know, it comes down to small things. Uh, I've we've uh, you know done pitches where I came out and one of the parties in the room on the other side didn't understand what we were actually asking for um, and it, you know to a great degree just completely missed the point. So had we better prepared for that meeting and had our team been more on point, uh, where we're all saying the same thing, I think we would have gotten our message across. And it probably applies to a greater degree if someone isn't, if, you know, fundraising is what I do every day of the week. But for other people, it's not going to be what they do. They only do it once in a year, or once in a lifetime or something like that. So, so pl- planning in either instance is, is definitely the, the first protocol. Yeah, well, plenty there to consider. Now, in just a moment, we'll be looking at the reputation of private equity and whether there are some myths that need to be debunked. 
You're listening to the Grow Your Business podcast with Gavin McLaughlin. I'm here with Paul Corrigan, Head of Corporate Finance at Mainstream Renewable Power, and Mark Flood, uh, Director of Renata's Capital Partners, one of Ireland's top private equity firms. And we're talking today about raising money, raising debt, uh, and raising equity. Now, Mark, private equity, it has a bit of a reputation, and it can be intimidating. Uh, I mean, there is a view, which you alluded to earlier, you know, these guys are going to come in, they have a certain time horizon by which they want to sell uh, their stake. They're going to squeeze the business to the pips uh, over these, these few years and then are, they're going to want to move on. Fair? Not entirely. Um, the, uh, I, think, I think squeezing the... I think a lot of the, the default, somebody, you know, most... There's different models. Uh, most do come in and look for some endpoint. Um, some are very fixed that it must be five years in. Others are more flexible and take a longer term view. Thankfully, we're not institutionally backed. We're very flexible in how we can how we can do things. We can if someone says this is a ten year plan, we can we can get that sanctioned with our investors and sign up to a ten year plan. And uh, if if in nature's time it needs to be extended, there can be flexibility around that as well. So I think on the on the timelines uh, that like that it that doesn't have to be um that doesn't have to be a drop dead. A drop dead date. Uh, that's the first thing, and uh, the second thing is squeezing the pips. I think that's probably a version that is probably not prevalent at all, really, in Ireland. You know, like the, the you know, there's a lot of in in London and New York. You have a lot of kind of very much cut cost, cut cost, cut cost types. I think if you look at across the the, the cadre of private equity in in Ireland, uh, pretty much every story has been about investing. <laughs> For growth, and you take our three businesses, we've Boojum, we've invested, we've five stores, we've now got eighteen, and we've invested to get that growth. Yeah. And in in uh, in Renix, we've 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 market entry into the US now, which uh, has taken investment, and our car license plates, and our third business in um, Simtech, we're uh, we're on the cusp of investing twenty million into a business that was much smaller, um, and. Uh, so our our three our three case studies are full of uh, quite the opposite yeah. of squeezing the pips investment, and I think a lot of other private equity stories are the same. So no, I think it's more sophisticated than that. In that there's not a drop dead date. There's value add and investment, but it is people are held to account. You know, it's 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 no longer kind of la la lash. We'll meet up every three months. There are board meetings. Yeah. There are plans. There are accountability. So it's probably more like akin to. You know, saying I'm not going to wander into the gym now. I have a personal trainer that I yeah. have to. I well, have to l- l- let's dig into that a bit deeper. I mean, how hands are on are you day to day? I mean, are you ringing the guys in Belgium every day saying, "What's the? How much money did you get in the tills today?" No, we're like our 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 modus operandi is hands on when needed and strategic value add and hands off when not. So uh, like it's it's uh, <laughs> they're the jockey. You leg them up, and uh, the CEO David Maxwell and Boojum runs Boojum, and that's uh, that's uh, we don't get in his way. But when, when we can add value, we do, and like our our offering. Is um we five five layers of value add. There's ourselves as senior directors who have run businesses, so we stay close enough to to see if the other four layers are needed. The second layer is we've a young team in the office that are like a young McKinsey, so they're. 
they're absolutely value add in Boojum. They built a database of properties in Dublin and Simtech. They they helped win a big tender. It's confidential that we won recently. And Renix, they're helping search search the Irish SME market for a an SME CEO successor. They're they're very value add. Our investors, we our criteria for our investors were self made and sound entrepreneurs, and that's who we have. And they do help, will help. And then our fourth and fifth layers of value add are we bring in co-investors who really know the domain and can bring the business to a different level. So we brought Dan Thompson, who was head of retail Paddy Power, into Boojum because Paddy Power was about preserving brand and scaling retail, and they did that excellently. And uh, Dan has been absolutely a great help to David and, and, and our board and the business to do that. In Simtech, we co-invested with... Eugene O'Reilly and 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 his team with Caroline Reynolds and Doug Brennan who are who are who are airline experts and uh, they've been brilliant on SimTech on the airline and kept kept um, Shea Hardy on board as a, as a co three three way three way shareholding so uh, who and they everyone brings different things to the table so we value added investors even not in our investor base that we can bring to add value okay. and the fifth layer is we've got. Uh, a, t- a toolkit, if you like, of specialists in every verticals from HR to operations to finance to branding to marketing that we can call on. No different to your contractor for a house can get you a plumber and rather than you yeah. trying to get a plumber yourself. So we're standing back and trying to be strategic and uh, not get in the way. And uh, we framework to to actually get feedback with the CEO t- to uh, to say, are you happy with how, how yeah. we're working? Well, that's that's your elevator pitch then mm. for, for somebody who might be interested in, in coming and knocking on your door and saying, look, I, I, I'd like you guys to invest in my business. Uh, you, you kind of alluded to, to some of the things that, that uh, people want to see. I mean, in you guys in particular, you said the team is very important. But just for somebody listening who, who wants to go down the road of raising equity, what are the kinds of things that in macro terms they need to convince uh, people if they want to get money in the door in equity form? Yeah, we were speaking before the, before the show just about the different types. I think it's important to know where you are in the ecosystem of of of. A company, if you like, so we 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 made the analogies to um, to the school system. So you've got businesses that are um, pre-revenue; they haven't got any revenue yet. They're like preschool. <laughs> you've got primary school, which are making revenue but not um, not making any profit yet. And then your third, third, the next level is secondary school types who are kind of making profit, but maybe not the million quid profit. And you've got the like the university third level where uh, where they're making a million quid and plus and that's kind of our level where we play and then you've got a further level where you know you're getting into IPO stage and, and bigger stuff which is like the, the, the postdoctorate level so like I suppose it's very important to um it's very important to distinguish between each level, you know. So the, you know, at the earlier stage, that that pre-revenue stage, you're probably the best thing to do is get uh, friends and family and maybe people who add value add and work your way up through, and then um, from from when you're when you're making when you're turning revenue but not making profit, it's then it's even more important to probably move away from the friends family, get strategic value add before you probably get the proper institutional venture capital which you can get concurrently or or, or afterwards and, and strategic value add where do you get that from uh, you'd be surprised that how many people legendary business people who want to invest in small business and that's like our pool of investors and they want to 
help and, and add value and mentor. And, you know, they've got their, they've got, they've made a lot of money. They've got time. They've got, they're full up with property investments. They're full up with their stock market investments. And they really want to, particularly when they see a real hungry team uh, where there's a CEO leading a, a hungry team and they think that they can add value and get a small return on their money. But it's not, the money is obviously the scoreboard, but they're not, it's, they really love the, so you'd be surprised that at any level, if you just said, who, who would be the dream person to, yeah. uh, who, who would be the dream person to, to, uh, to, to lead this business and I suppose then as you get further on up the different uh, levels as you mentioned there people might be looking at other things like you know you, you've got this level of revenue you know we want you to, we want you to, we think you can get to this level by this right. particular stage you know show us your growth plan that, that's what yeah that I think the growth in. plan I think uh, yeah the growth it's it's really def- defining the business today in a simple sense as Paul said just describing what it is like you know what I mean so it's 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 if, if it's describing there's an always uh, you know, a few simple drivers of revenue. There's always two or three drivers of revenue. You know, if you're if you if you, if you're in a pub, it's probably you know it's it's your it's your your beer, your top shelf, and 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 your food. You know what I mean? Like, what's the so what what are your what are your key drivers to your revenue? How does that flow through to like what's your gross profit on that? What are your key drains on that from an overhead, and what profit do you make? So that's the business you have today. Quickly narrate how you got to the, there. And then say where you're going to, and and that's showing that growth plan. But the growth plan itself is is the growth plan. Then you got to show it in context of the market. So this is the market size. We've got a share of this market. Is the market size going to grow? Yes or no. And then is our share going to grow? Yes or no. And why are we going to grow ahead of the others? And then the most important part, the most important part is um, who are the people that are going to. What's who, who, who? What's the team sheet? Who's who are the people that are going to bring it from from here to there? Well, some great tips there on how to put together a growth plan for your business. Next, we'll explore some of the products that banks have on offer. Now, Paul, we we spoke a little bit earlier about you know what you need to do if you're going into the banks uh, to borrow money. I wanted to talk then about some of the different products uh, maybe that the banks have on offer. So, uh, if if we talk maybe a little bit about mezzanine finance first, because that's kind of something that's emerged here uh, over the last few years. So, say for example, uh, the bank might say, "Well, we're not going to give you everything uh, you're looking for. We'll give you ninety percent of what you want." Then you have to go off to one of these mezzanine debt providers and they say, yeah, we'll give you the other 10%, but it's going to be at a pretty hefty uh, rate of interest. I mean, is, is that something that is kind of worth looking at for people? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's um, And it, it's back to that word of a stack again. So if you were to fund everything through mezzanine, so mezzanine mean by, by its definition, it sits above something else. Right? So it sits above another loan from Project fin- or from a bank or which should be at a cheaper rate. And you're going to look at the combination of these things. So it's what's the overall cost. So it might be a smaller amount of mezzanine debt with a larger amount of cheaper debt. So the combined cost might be better than another alternative which didn't have mezzanine funding in it. Um, I think what, uh, what what has you know come through over the last number of years, you often hear of this phrase of a wall of money or a wall of capital and and what it uh, how it kind of, I suppose, um, presents itself to us is is there's a lot of a lot of money out there um, but when you're trying to, t- to get it or access it you know it's not, it doesn't necessarily come all of that easy um, t- for us at least it's it's quite segmented so if you're looking for a specific piece of capital a specific area for, for a specific purpose you, you know you go to that group 
and, and often it's quite competitive. If you're looking for something that's quite ver- flexible and general, then it, it's a little bit more different, difficult. And with mezzanine debt, you know, there's a number of specialist mezzanine debt funds out there, who, and this is all, the only thing they do. So AMP Capital uh, is an Australian fund. Their last mezzanine debt fund is about $4 billion. Um, that's what they do, and it's a very much an, it's a kind of an off the product uh, or off the shelf product in in markets like the U.S., where it's a fairly tried and tested way of building large infrastructure projects. In um, in an Irish context, you might see it a little bit more maybe in property development, where you get yeah. a loan for X, you, you might someone else. Uh, um, and activate capital or one of these guys that uh, they may come in with with um, you know who are willing to take a little bit more risk um, and I think there's there's you know what you want to look out for there is how the two intera- uh, interface and interact you also want to look out for the terms of that mezzanine debt back to the original question we had earlier about you know how do you fund your business is it with too much debt or is it with equity um, and and the big issue for me with those types of things is is obviously it's it's not just the coupon and how that ticks and and there's a phrase of of pick which is called payment in kind where the interest rolls up. Um, when you say the interest rolls up, what, what do you mean? You by don't that? pay every quarter or every year, you know. So if you were building like in property development, you don't might not have any income for two years or three years. So, so you, you pay all the interest after at, the houses the are built. Correct. Right. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, uh, the big issue for me there is always just to make sure that your structure match, uh, you know, it works with the incentives that you want people to have. So if everyone is is working towards a, a single takeout, then um, then that's fine. If if not, um, and you're just getting a problem that's building and building and big building, then uh, then that's something to watch out well, for. It, and it just shows you again how important uh, planning is. Mark, uh, you you want to say something there? Yeah, on the same. Like I think your your traditional bank debt. Say senior bank debt, uh, you know, sub five percent rate, and then you've got the equity on the other side, and you have a number of options in the middle. Like I think it's it's not dissimilar to uh, for, for ourselves in our in our personal capacity or credit card debt. If you're you know, yeah. if if you know, like I think it's it's they're 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 the instruments are fine if you take that double digit percentage money. Uh, double-digit percentage interest rate on the money if you are certain you're going to pay it back. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the same as a credit card. If you take it and you know that you're going to, you know, you have the means or you some other money coming from somewhere to pay that two or three grand back on the credit card, that's fine. So, but where that turns toxic is when you kind of take it on and you don't deliver your plan and then the person with the money is saying, oh, when, when are we getting it back? When are we, you know, when are we? That's when it turns because they're not that interested in the horizon of upside on the far side and they'll just want their money back and potentially then can stymie the business a little bit. So, so it's it's fine if you've that double digit kind of money, if you're certain, you know, if you're very, very certain you're going to pay it back. So you, you got to put out your cash flows, put it, put down the worst case analysis of what can happen and if you can still pay it back, well then okay. great, go and, go and get it and it's a softer way of getting it but it's it can be it can be dangerous instrument if just remember anyone given double digit percentage money, if, if you miss they'll, they'll just want their money back. Paul, some of, some of the other uh, types of things on offer, we mentioned uh, project specific finance which is something that you guys do so just tell me how that works. Sure, so with project specific finance, it's typically called non-recourse project finance. It means that the bank lends you money without any personal guarantees or any rights to another part of the company. So it's solely down to the borrower. So if in the case of a wind farm or a solar farm, um, that will have a special purpose company called a, an SPV um, or special purpose vehicle. It will be the borrower. It'll borrow this money for the guts of you know 15 to 20 years. 
Um, and the bank only has recourse to that company and the assets in that company if something goes wrong. So it's it's a pretty efficient way of building infrastructure and it's it's sort of survived the test of time. Over uh, and and would that be something, say, if I was, um, you know, a chicken processor and I want to build a new factory. I mean, would you would could you get project finance just for that? Yeah, it, it would probably be called something different, but I suppose the principles would stay the same. You know, so if you're a chicken manufacturer, you know, your first question and the bank's first question will be: Do you give a personal guarantee? Do you add in any other assets uh, yeah. into the the security package? From your own point of view, generally you're better off not. You know, you want to limit the exposure. Sure. From a bank's point of view, they'll want to increase it. Now, what? You know the 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 pros and cons of doing all of that in in our side of the the world. It means that a lot of work is done up front. There's a huge amount of due diligence done at the very outset. So every risk from a bank's point of view is sort of measured and planned against. It's not necessarily paid for. You might have contingencies, and the whole concept is that the bank can't come looking for you for more 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 money. Um, but it means that they're pretty conservative in what they'll do. So a bank might be more cons- more aggressive if you threw in additional guarantees. Um, and, and more conservative if you, if you don't. Okay. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about is raising debt on the capital markets. I mean, is that something that you guys are, are considering doing, issuing bonds? Yeah, we, we do. I mean, a bond is just a loan, you know, so it's called the same, called a different word often, but, but it comes down to the same thing. One of the, you know, key factors in that is often a rating. And a rating just means that a bond can become something that people can, you might be C or H, you might be, um, you know, um, an L and uh, a, a rating entity will say, well, that the risk here is the same, even though the, the underlying thing is completely different. It tends to have a certain cost. It tends to apply to um, activities that are fairly predictable and, and pretty large in scale. So we could build our projects through bonds. Um, we've looked at that. The reality is that for us, project finance is probably a more competitive way of doing it. So it's, it's you hear a lot about green bonds and project finance really is a form of a green bond. It's just not necessarily called the same thing. There's huge interest in that. You're getting com- you know, a lot of companies or banks who are funding uh, themselves through what they call green bonds and then they're just dedicating that money for green activities. But you know, the city of Atlanta might raise a green bond to fund, you know, certain activities, yeah. but the risk profile for that is very different for something else. So it's back to the, you know, the earlier points of it. There's a huge wall of capital. If you can make it easy for people, um, and in Western Europe, parts of that, you're getting, you know, bond issuances at really low rates. Uh, and it, it also accesses a different type of investor. So it tends to be maybe an insurance company or a pension fund, whereas a project finance or bank, it tends to be on their own balance sheet, which which will be somewhat yeah. constrained. So actually, the two coexist quite well. The, probably the skill set is more with the banks. Um, and then they'll typically, they might refinance through a bond issuance where it's a bit, you know, any risk that was there has been uh, somewhat removed. Yeah. Maybe a project that was in construction is now in operation. And then it'll come off the bank's balance sheets and onto, you know, this plethora of, of pension fund and insurance fund money. So it's a growing and, and interesting segment. You've touched on something interesting there, and I want to get both your opinions on this because, you know, you, you, you talked, Paul, about the wall of money that's out there. We're in this ultra low interest rate environment. Central banks are encouraging uh, people to borrow. I'll ask you first, Paul, does that make you more inclined uh, to raise debt rather than equity? I, I, not necessarily in itself, because uh, as interest rates, uh, the, the lower the interest rates are, that puts pressure on debt. The um, to you know where the rates return are relatively low and it and it means it brings down the cost of capital at every tier so it brings down the cost of equity so an incoming investor 
from an equity point of view, should be you know theoretically happy with a lower level return today versus five, six, seven years ago. So it, it um, you know, there's a whole kind of chain, and they're all relative to each other. Does, does that? Uh, do you agree with that, Mark? Uh, we're probably, you know, Paul's at, at a higher level. You know, we gave the five stages of companies. Paul's probably living in in level five. We're living in level four, which is probably more dealing with corporate banking. And then when you go down the levels, you might deal with business banking, yeah. retail banking. But, so, but are you seeing like when you're going out meeting companies, are you having people say, "Well, you know what, I I, I would have taken the money off your mark, but actually I can get it really cheap in AIB now, so I'm going to go with AIB instead." Um, there's a bit, bit of that. I still I still think it comes down to affordability. I don't think there's like at a, that that big quantitative easing money is getting into the big big companies and the big balance sheets i don't think i think there's quite good regulation at the at the that, that's that's swashing around wall street if you like the the in main street there's there's uh i don't think it's as easy got and thankfully so a bit like the there's a lot of money out there but the mortgage restrictions are there and they're there to make sure there's affordability and i think the um, generally the the rules like banks are what we see are definitively open for business but open for sensible business you know when when you're getting a small few percent on your money you want to be pretty sure you're going to get it paid back so they'll open they'll give it at an affordability level so it doesn't really it doesn't really play in our world as much um the the, the big bond stuff i think when you're you know if you're Ryanair and you can say well i can actually raise a bond and get at, at, at sub one percent as opposed to get something from the bank well then that's you're playing yeah. in a different world but it plays the, the bond world plays at a probably level five and paul's playing in that kind of level and we're probably playing level four you know what i mean yeah i think that you know it, it, like the, the money is there but they they a lot of that money is, whether it's with different funds, they all have their own rules as to when they'll allocate it. So it might be, you know, an AIB or a Bank of Ireland who who just won't lend if above a certain risk profile. Yeah. It might be a, a, a Dunpour Capital who will take a, another level of risk and, and do a lot of really good work in that space. Um, but ultimately, they'll all have their promises to their own investors. So people are pretty, you know, fragmented. And, and even though you have all of this money that's out there actually accessing it, um, when you might say, well, I'm, I'm almost at that risk level, maybe just a little bit riskier. You know, people, they often don't have the permission, they don't have the, the, the right to invest um, or they're not willing to do it. So, so, you know, we used to think that sometimes you make money from taking risk and other times you make money from avoiding it. Yeah. And, and in, in a lot of the, the, the lenders' cases or the investors' cases, it's very much what they're, what they're allowed to do and will define kind of where they'll make their investment. And of course, that's part of the legacy of the financial crash a decade ago. In a moment, it's time to look to the future. Let's look to the future then, uh, guys. Paul, you first. Your plans uh, at Mainstream over the next five years in terms of fundraising. How much debt are you going to raise? How, where is it going to come from? And are you looking at raising any equity? Yeah, so, I mean, our we've just closed a, a deal in Chile. That was $580 million. There's another one to come now in early next year, around the same, about $600 million, and then a third build out. Uh, a large build out in Vietnam across uh, um, uh, an offshore project there into the Philippines. So from a from a debt point of view, it's it's many billions, um, and uh, you know we would just see sort of endless opportunities from what we do, which is emerging markets. You know, so um, a lot of a lot of Western Europe, uh, you know, have already made a, a very large transition across renewable energy 
in some of the markets we're in, I suppose it's really only beginning. So there's no shortage of opportunities um, to build a lot of that out. You need to have equity as well as as um, as project debt. And um, we uh, so we expect that we will be raising equity in time. Um, we do have plans for another grey market, which is chances for our own retail shareholders to to uh, achieve liquidity. So something we did at the start of this year and a promise we made, uh, which and we're on track for. Could that, could that be an IPO to raise equity? We've discussed that before and certainly a CEO, Andy, has been quite clear on that. I, I think the business in its current form is IPOable, but there's a huge number of suitors out there, whether it's for another form of exit, such as a trade sale or, or, yeah. or other strategic partnerships. So partnership, I suppose, is the key word for us. Um, there's no shortage of opportunity and there's no shortage of co-investors out there looking to, to join us. Mark, uh, you guys, obviously, uh, you've mentioned your, your three investments. Uh, what's the outlook for you here in terms of deploying capital? Because you must have had to kiss a lot of frogs before you got your princess. We did, and we're very lucky with the with the three partners we have. Um, we've we've raised a, that was f- those three investments were from our first fund, which was an eleven million fund, and we've raised thirty five again from from self made entrepreneurs. And uh, outlook is very very strong. There's four types of deals we're we're really focusing on. There's financing management buyouts. There's financing shareholder buyouts where one shareholder wants to drive on, the other might want to exit, and we just swap places with hopefully more value add. And then there's a hybrid option where somebody could sell the business, and we're saying, well, actually, how about you sell just half or forty percent? Yeah, and uh, and that just allows them kind of get their personal balance sheet in shape clear off the mortgage, maybe pay a few deposits for a few kids, whatever else is there, and uh, and drive on. And the fourth, which is the most exciting, and uh, we have a number of these in the hopper now, thankfully, is um, financing market-leading Irish businesses to go and acquire in the UK and beyond. If you look at all the Irish PLC success stories, and uh, you look at um, probably carve out Ryanair and the banks maybe, and every pretty much every PLC success story was a smart Irish team who got equity and expanded internationally. And we're going to Irish SMEs, and you know the same as mainstream with, with Paul and Eddie and all the guys. That, that, that that's a smart Irish team. That's just a massive international success story. The same as Paul Coulson and and Digicel and all the the, the, the success stories. So. Like our, we're we're getting businesses, so say making two million. They're market leaders in Ireland. They come out of their kind of annual strategy day and they say, "Oh, sure, you know, SWOT analysis and opportunity. We'll go and acquire something." But they never do anything about it. So we've yeah. got four of them now that we can't name. Four of them that we're 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 hoping by Christmas to have memos of understanding signed, and we're going to the UK to help them find and fund those companies to grow because a smart Irish management team gets equity and they'll just run they'll run businesses better around the world and that's the big opportunity that we see is creating deals so so you obviously think you you know you're obviously not too worried about brexit then we're conscious of it, but if if you if kind of q one we we hop on a plane if you look at the the odds are it's odds on that it's going to get sorted in some guys in in q one I don't think we'll be writing a check until we've clarity as to what the the outcome is but if if you know if you hop on a plane in 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 January, look at businesses. We probably won't be writing a check till summertime, you know, for 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 some of those. So by the time we're pretty pretty clear, by the time that happens, there'll be some level of clarity. And there's still, you know, still sixty million people to 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 feed and everything they do, you know. So it's it's um I think there's uh it's it's a it's a big economy. It's not going to become a it's not going to become a second world economy overnight. One of the big things uh, about private equity is that it, it does kind of, it can professionalise things in the company, can just boost the corporate governance, proper board meetings and all that kind of thing. What's the most common thing you come across, Mark, where you just say, 
there's a fairly simple thing that that business could do just to tighten up the way it's run a bit. Well, we'd be very careful to like it, it, it's it's evolution. Like the, the um, like any business in Ireland that's making a million plus, and generally the ones we're dealing with have the founder entrepreneur there. Um, like to to go in and say you're going to do things better is 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 a little arrogant, to be honest. In the sense that the those companies are seriously seriously tight and well run. You know, when they talk about lean operations, there's very few companies we see where owner managed that there's much a uh, lean opportunity. I think that's in the bigger companies that get it get a bit lazy I think the biggest opportunity is investing in uh, the biggest opportunity you see is 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 getting it expanded out of that one person who is everything that one person who is the HR head who is the finance head effectively who is the commercial head that's the big opportunity is kind of getting it spreading the spreading the the top management team and helping the the leader invest and get their own life back but also get people who are functionally who, who are who are functional experts and and, and investing that that's 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 the most enjoyable thing to see when you can actually say well actually if you get two or three people here you get your life back and the business even thrives that's that's just a joy to see last question then uh, to you both and, and Paul I'll come to you first what are the key do's and don'ts for somebody who wants to raise debt I think that the key do is 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 prepare and um, set out what you want, what you need. Do a bit, do some research as to who provides these types of things. Um, decide whether you want an advisor or not. Um, and then I think the key don't is you know don't get too frustrated too quickly. You need to persevere. Um, it may be that there's a bunch of offers and um, and it all flows very easily. It may be that you. Um, you know, you, you it takes you some time, but certainly the other don't is don't go with the first offer. You know, I think competition and and right up until the last minute until you know you've signed something is is really very important. You need to keep people honest. You know, there's a it might seem like there's a very clear art to this, and and it's an exa- um or it's an exact science, but competition will be your best friend in terms of driving a good deal for you. And mark the key do's and don'ts for people who want to raise equity. Uh, one, I'll give you one of each. Uh, the first, the first, the key do I think is is get an advisor, um, and not just the nearest one to you. Uh, ask ask them have they done such a such a fundraise before? You know, like that you set out your criteria, and this is what you're looking for. You know, you, you know, it might be an amount of money, it might be a partner, it might be value add, it might be whatever else. Set out your criteria, and make sure whoever's advising you has raised. <laughs> has advised somebody to do that successfully and get a reference from that person they did it successfully for. So that's the key key to do I think is get get an advisor because there's so many there's there's you can be bamboozled with what's out there. You know what I mean that at least an honest broker in the middle to kind of distill and distinguish well they're right there or they're wrong there or they're kind of pulling yeah. the wool over your eyes there. So the key do is get an advisor who has done such a fundraise before, you know, and with references. And the key don't is don't have a hundred marks for price, you know. And you wouldn't you'd be disappointed if 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 some customers were putting out a tender and the hundred marks were for were for price. Uh, so don't this is one of the most important things you'll do. Equity is a marriage. Uh, price is clearly very important and going to be probably most marks will be for price, but not all marks, you know. So don't don't. The relationship is important too. Yeah, the relationship, qualitative value add factors are very, very important and chemistry and um, and, and don't just don't have 100 marks for price. 
Okay, we leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. That's Mark Flood, Director of Renata's Capital Partners, and Paul Corrigan, Head of Corporate Finance at Mainstream Renewable Power. That's it for the Grow Your Business podcast this week. Back next Thursday at 4pm, when we'll be looking at the roles of Chief Executive and Chairman and what it takes to do these jobs well. Join us then. Grow your business from News Talk with Gavin McLaughlin. Thanks to Euronext Dublin, the new home of the Irish Stock Exchange, supporting business for over 200 years.